Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. Hello, I'm Michael Chakraverty. And I'm Mark Watson. And this is the Menkind Podcast. We're going to take a deep dive into masculinity, exploring what being a man actually means, along with a variety of brilliant guests. You know, men talking about men is a notoriously underrepresented area of podcasting. Not anymore. Hello, us again. Mark, how are you today? Not too bad, actually. Thank you, Michael. And uh, looking forward to introducing another one of our podcast episodes. <laughs> what an excellent start. Thank you. I thought that was really professional, really briskly done. Would you like to tell everyone who our guest is this week, Michael? Yes, this week we have the brilliant Rufus Hound, who is a comedian, actor. He's done lots of different things, really. I know him mainly through theatre. Yeah, but he's also been a TV presenter. He's, well, he was briefly on Dancing on Ice, but then... Uh, the pandemic wiped out that entire series. He, he's actually, he's done more different things in his career than almost anyone I can think of, actually, Rufus. And he has a lot of opinions, as will become apparent. How is your Lego today, Rufus? Oh, a joy. Honestly, a profound, deep. I mean, he, oh, is this small talk or have we started the podcast? It's only that otherwise I'll be really verbose. If mm. it's for the podcast, I'll really explain why it was we, great. Well, yeah. And if it's small talk... <laughs> Then I can just say it was really good. <laughs> Let's save the verbosity for the actual... Verbosity. That's a very good word. Thank you, Michael. A verbosity. Um, I mean, you stole it from Rufus and added an itty on the end. I adapted it into the conversation. <laughs> Rufus offered it up and I used it. Based on an original idea by... <laughs> <laughs> A really, really genuinely interesting guy. We had a bit of a, a challenge recording this episode. We were struck by endless internet issues, meaning that we were sort of firing questions out into the ether and hoping that he was able to respond to them, which he was, but we only found that out after we'd recorded because we had no idea what was going on. Yes, I, I think the phrase is bedeviled, Michael. We were bedeviled by Wi-Fi issues. Ooh, what a good word. Yeah, we've been watching a drama about uh, the 1970s space programme and you see people talking to astronauts on the moon. And I'd say our conversation with Rufus was more technically difficult than that. Uh, but even though basically we were saying stuff amongst ourselves and Rufus was replying in a different realm, somehow our production team has assembled what seems to be a proper conversation. Yes, they're very good at stitching things together. I mean, they make us sound articulate and these introductions normally take about 40 minutes to record. So uh, It's lucky that people don't ever get to hear the real thing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might be able to in the future, but we'll hold that one close to our chest and enjoy. Well, that was a good tease, good tease. Oh, yeah. that was. I'm good at that, aren't I? Good at teasing. <laughs> uh, enjoy this episode with Rufus Hound. 
This week we have Rufus Hound, who, as you probably can't see as you were listening to this, he has a wonderful full moustache, which has turned up nicely at the ends. Rufus is a actor, comedian, writer, trivial pursuit player, sometimes funny, sometimes irritating, always present. I'm just going to keep talking until he interrupts me. Really. Oh, no. That's the first time we've had a, a negative note in the introduction. You've never said... But I know Rufus quite well, so it's kind of okay to be negative about him. Uh, hopefully, yeah. Let's see what Rufus does with his introduction for me now. I will counter that with Mark Watson is a man who I would walk off a pier for if he asked me to. He doesn't deserve this sort of loyalty because he is a shambles as a person. And yet, through that, reigns genuinely one of the most inspirational folk it's been my privilege to know. Thank you very much, Rufus. And to complete the introductions, uh, yes, Watson here, the greatest uh, talent of my generation, as you've heard. <laughs> Michael Chakravarti's uh, sort of a baker bloke. So, um, <laughs> in this podcast, uh, <laughs> we talk about... Actually, would you like... Because you, you didn't come that out of those introductions that well. Would you no, like to I, get I your feel, feet I under the table like with came, a question? I came at the bottom of that ladder, which is a shame. Yeah, so would you like to assert some authority by asking Rufus, a, you know, a, a proper question? A, a proper question. To start us off, yeah. So normally we just kind of fluff it, but I might actually read it from the piece of paper. I might shuffle Ooh. them as well, like a, like a newsreader. Oh, very good. <laughs> I have a degree in reading, got a first, don't like to brag about it. <clears throat> Same. <laughs> Growing up, do you remember being presented with an idea of how boys were supposed to be? Yes, I'm glad this isn't one of those podcasts that relies on small talk. You've got yourselves a theme, no. and off we bloody pop. This is a podcast where we brutally interrogate you, Rufus. <laughs> yeah. That should have been clear. <laughs> did I have a kind of quite clear idea of what a man was meant to be? I, I think I rather did. I would say that it was probably, without me realising it, a little more conflicted than I would have thought at the time, because... The people I was naturally more drawn to growing up were people like Robin Williams as Mork and Jim Henson and The Muppet Show, who genuinely were showing a far more kind of emotionally connected way of being than what it is to be a man. The Muppets are pretty good role models if you can get past this issue of them not having physical bodies in the same way as us. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, there was boys play football and can be good at fighting and who was the fastest runner. As an idea, that kind of maleness was definitely very present. I remember at school really not liking girls. In fact, I wrote a poem about not liking girls ah. that my dad put on his wall in the office because it was quite funny. I think rather generally speaking, being raised in a world in which there was a very pronounced men and women, capital M, capital W, Men are from Mars, women are from Venus, battle of the sexes. And indeed, by the time I was 28, 30, the only stand-up really that I've done, the, pure, the only pure stand-up I did, really fixated on that as an idea. I still think, for what it's worth, that there is an underlying difference between men and women. It's interesting, isn't it? Because, as you say, a lot of what we think of as gender is underlined and wired into us by um, societal influences. And you and I, as stand-ups, are part of that influence because as you also say it's not quite so much now but when we were beginning men do this sort of stuff women do that sort of stuff was maybe the most common trope of stand-up comedy and now presumably it's not as easy to do stand-up like that if you have to say people are like this people are also like that yeah <laughs> you know when non-gendered beings do this that's really different from when other non-gendered <laughs> beings do that so if nothing else yeah. the, the breakdown of our idea of gender is really tough for hack observational stand-up <laughs> Yeah. 
Yeah, because I think ultimately you then have to describe the type of person rather than just describing that to being a man. And if you're going to describe that sort of person, you will end up describing them invariably as an arsehole. So the idea that there is an inherent... <laughs> that's my introduction, Rufus. <laughs> oh, no, but I'm, that's why I took as little offence. Well, I, I didn't take offence at it for two reasons, Michael. One, because I don't care what you think of me. <laughs> <laughs> Very healthy. Yeah. <laughs> and secondly, because so much of my personal philosophy has been informed by television over the years. I've already referenced uh, Mork and Mindy. There is a double episode of Mork and Mindy that probably has had more to do with how I approach life than almost anyone for the five years I was at my first school. Mm. There is an episode where Mork realises how terrifying the world is, and it was on television at exactly the point in my life as a young man that I realised how terrifying the world was. And so Mork seals himself in this hermetic bubble so that he doesn't have to interact with the scary, scary world. And then Mork realised, oh, unless I accept it and then plough on into the thing that is dangerous and worrying, then I have no life at all. And I swear to God, I mean, you know, people talk about how could you do stand-up? It's so scary. It's because I watched Mork and Mindy and realised it's because something scary isn't a reason not to do something. Half the time, it's the scary things that are the things that are most worth doing. You were talking earlier about when you were younger and that kind of pulled out into a broader point, I suppose. But were there elements of masculinity or perceived masculinity that you remember feeling that fit you and, and elements that didn't fit you? So I've never really been that kind of sporty bloke, you know, where team sports really mattered and whatever. But I was absolutely embalmed in that culture. Did you go to an all-boys school as well? Because yeah, I'm yeah. always interested in what sort of idea of you know the importance of menhood i didn't go to a single sex school i don't know that many people who did so yeah that interests me as well yeah no i mean that's absolutely where i'm going with this is that the first three or four years of my schooling were a church of england school in essex my mum came to a nativity play when i was about six seven years old heard 40 kids sing a why in a manger <laughs> and because she's very snobby went we have to move <laughs> the nativity play shaped your educational career <laughs> yeah it totally did my mum got the offer of a job so we moved down kind of south surrey way i went to an all-boys school in woking which was probably the happiest time of my life really yeah yeah it was a private school we had the uniforms the little caps the blazers the badges the full bit but there's a brilliant book that i very much enjoyed by steve bidolf about raising children called raising boys i've read that yeah yeah when I had my son nearly 13 years ago now, that was a book that really made perfect sense to me. One of the things you heard all the time was like, men are dogs and women are cats. You know, if you'd ever read a book about how to train a dog, this book, Raising Boys, just seemed to fit absolutely squarely on top of it. You know, it fit perfectly because the idea with boys is that what boys really like best is being told where they sit, what's going on, and what to do next. That there is a security in that. And that they just want to know, this is where you are, this is what we're doing, we're all together, we're a gang, off we go. Do you agree with that, Rufus? Because I often think that, you know, I've got a 10-year-old son, and I have given him quite a lot of latitude, and I, I sometimes do feel that I would be better off. Like He'd be relieved if I imposed 
more restrictions but there's just it's, it goes against the grain of my personality sometimes to do that because i'm soft <laughs> um somebody gave me a really good steer early on which is to avoid them growing up feeling like there's tyranny then you can give them choice within that but the choices are the choices that you present to them yeah so it's a sort of soft form of tyranny <laughs> yeah diet tyranny <laughs> But you're not saying to a kid, do you think you should stay up for another hour or indeed go to bed at all? It is, do you want to wear these pyjamas or those pyjamas now that you are going to bed? Both of which I have sanctioned. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Do you respond well to that kind of direction? So I think that the trouble is, I don't really know what the answer to that question is because looking back, I couldn't tell you how self-possessed I was to respond or not respond to that. Yeah. I think I've always been quite self-possessed. I've always been very happy to spend a lot of time on my own. I remember fully asking my nan if I could have a friend over and then the friend would come over and the moment the friend wanted to do something that wasn't what I wanted to do, I'd just be like, okay, cool, you do that. I'm going to go and read a book. (laughs) (laughs) So I think I've always felt like I can easily absent myself from whatever the rule is. But equally, over those five years that I went to this all boys school, there was definitely something I have I found at that time and have always found very pleasing about being part of a gang that was all doing one thing as long as that was a thing I wanted to do. Mm. If it was play rugby or kick a football or whatever, I just didn't care. But if I was playing football with a bunch of kids who also didn't care, then that was really fun. <laughs> and do you reckon that mob mentality, to use that phrase, is a male instinct, Rufus? Do you think that as men we are keener on that feeling of like being in a gang? Does that account for some of our behaviour? Because it does feel as if quite a lot of male behaviour is the result of peer pressure or the result of a, of a group mentality, not necessarily in a positive way always. I suppose where I've got to at the ripe old age of 41 is I can't reflect on the male experience and say that that means anything about the female experience you know yeah it's pretty hard to unpick one thing from another isn't it whether we do it because it's uh intrinsic to us or we simply mimic what we've always seen yeah quite so it'd be quite refreshing if more men answer questions by saying now that i'm 41 i don't think i'm in a good position to answer that question (laughs) it'd be nice to hear about 20 percent more men do that i think what i do appreciate is that there are increasing numbers of women who are very into team sports oh this is the point i was really trying to make i have a kind of overarching theory about lots of the reasons why the world is going the way it's going and why people feel the way they feel. And it makes me in 2020 somewhat anxious to put this forward because I am not putting this forward as somebody who understands all of it. And I am also putting this forward fully aware that there are some generalizations within this that unknowingly may offend people who I do not wish to offend. This is great for clicks, mate. This is exactly what a podcast needs. Yeah, we're just going to use this bit as a trailer. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So please don't misconstrue anything I say that you find offensive as my saying I am right and you are wrong. It's a theory. You are floating a theory. And have I done all the reading or enough reading? I almost certainly have not. But at the same time, The requirement we all have is to build a model of the world that helps us make sense of the world around us. And so this is my model. 
please, for the love of God, <laughs> do not <laughs> listen to anything I'm about to say and just mug me off and go, why would he ever say that? Doesn't he realise dot, dot, dot? Because the short answer is no, I do not realise that. Well, you, you could not have set this up more carefully, Rufus. You've distanced yourself almost entirely from everything <laughs> you're about to say yeah. in the way that only someone with a lot of Twitter followers knows how to do. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> that's it. You've issued a number of caveats which can only come from someone that's been beaten up on social media a fair bit. <laughs> yeah, okay, good. Well, now that they're all out of the way, Birds, eh? What the fuck? (laughs) Um. (laughs) Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. No, my underlying understanding of it all is this i do think that there has been over the hundreds of thousands of years of our evolution there is this ball of thinking in our heads that has a kind of kernel and then another layer around that and another layer around that and another layer around that the kernel is really wrapped up with some very primitive ideas that are am i hungry can we fuck Do I need to sleep? Do I need to run away? The things I think on every morning when I wake up, actually, in that order. It's not that they're not useful. They can be very useful. Yeah, do I need to run away is something we all think at least once a day, I think. Yeah. Especially if you're in bed with Michael, clearly. Um, (laughs) And so our more evolved thoughts, our more conscious thoughts, our more human thoughts actually are on the outside of those shells of thinking and therefore to an extent have slightly less sway over us than the instincts that are right at the very core of our being and i think at some point within all of that there is a male female split because if i'm carrying a baby i have to have in the core of me some considerations that some being that is never going to have to carry a baby doesn't have to have and again i'm really heavily caveating this because it is only my understanding of it that there are these little ticks that do seem to fall along sex lines male female sex lines not you know 0898 obviously um (laughs) that for example men when they talk prefer to talk side by side shoulder to shoulder i find it very interesting of course that the two of you 
are presenting this podcast sat side by side in order to look at the camera rather than face to face with two cameras on you. We prefer not to make eye contact. We find it awkward. We don't generally look at each other as a, as a rule. Right. But that is a very male thing <laughs> for women. Very much not the case. Women, when they get together, immediately want to be face to face so that they can see each other, look at each other. And so there are a bunch of gender stereotypes that do seem to me to have some validity. You were talking about men historically standing kind of side by side rather than face to face. And I think especially in this day and age, there's lots of talk about mental health and men struggling to fully articulate their emotions. And you look at the mental health challenges and suicide rates and things like that, and they are much higher in men. Have you had any experience of challenges with communicating about your mental health? Um, Well, specifically mental health, yes, absolutely. But I think weirdly, the way that I've overcome those challenges (laughs) is not the way it's meant to be. So if I can just go back to the uh, very long answer I gave about Mm. that caveman thing, I think that is where all of these mental health problems seem to come from. That we these tools that we have in our heads, our brains and our thinking are all about being connected and about the work that we do directly feeding into the well-being of those around us in an incredibly practical and physical way. And now we live lives of kind of far more esoteric connection. And so the very necessary and required elements of what it is to be a man are just not being met that there isn't a sense that you're part of a tribe or that your brothers are around you. We don't have the thing that almost every primitive tribe has had, which is this moment where you are welcomed by the elders into manhood, that you are welcome here, that you're valid, that you will be the continuation of something. All of those things are missing, as well as, by the way, um, do you guys know about the Romanian orphanage study? It's very sad. I talk about it all the time, but it's very sad. Now, every time you've brought up the Romanian orphanage study, I've sort of left the room so far, but you've got us as a captive audience here. (laughs) So, very sadly, under Ceausescu's regime, a huge number of children in Romania given up for adoption end up in these vast orphanages. And a lot of the babies in those orphanages don't survive. And some American students decided, hey, maybe we can go, maybe we can proactively stem so much of this infant mortality Uh, We'll do a study and see what it is that's affecting that. And they realized that the babies, they were all kept similarly warm. They were given the same amount of food. When the babies were admitted, they had the same kind of basic level of health. And then they realized that geographically, it was the babies that were closest to the corridors in their cots that survived and the ones that were further away from the corridors that didn't. Now, why should that make a difference? It was because when the babies nearest the corridors cried, a nurse might just quickly pop in, soothe that baby, and then move away. Whereas the babies that were further in wouldn't get the same level of touch and soothing, and they died. Uh I have heard about this, in fact, and it is sad. Yeah, incredibly sad. But it tells us that being touched literally feeling physically connected to the people around us is fucking at the core. Let me say that without swearing is at the fucking core. Better, much better. Just swearing in the right place. (laughs) If we aren't physically touching and being touched 
something in our brain says we shouldn't be here. This isn't going well. I should be dead. Okay, so here's a question that moves from the sort of conceptual to the practical, I suppose, Rufus. You've talked about how there are elements of initiation into manhood which we just don't have anymore and which we have a kind of uh, primordial need for. And so something's missing from men in the community. In what can we actually do? And maybe increased touch, is joking aside, is one aspect of it. But what do you think we could do to replicate as a community of men the things that are missing? How could we make men function better in a society that's, as you say, so far removed from the one that our brains were built to deal with? So I don't have a huge number of friends. You know, I've got loads of people that I love, but in terms of friends actually making the time, it's the consideration, really. Friendship is a task. It's something you have to work at. That's it. If you love someone, that's an action. That's not just a statement. Mm. (laughs) Absolutely. Also, this connects strongly to my idea of tribe. You know, there are people that I adore whose lives I should be present in. And then there are people who I might not even like without realising I've become part of their tribe Uh because it's all of the day-to-day tiny little, do you want a cup of tea? Oh, I bought you a sandwich. Oh, do you want to finish those crisps? Have you finished with that newspaper? So most of it is food, basically. Hmm. (laughs) Well, I mean, look at me. Um, (laughs) It's all of those little tiny micro considerations that actually stitch you into the fabric of your community. So how I think we make men better ultimately, is to possibly be willing to accept that your place in the lives of the men around you is going to end up being more important than your presence in the lives of the men that you would choose to be around if you had more time. So basically, you have to seek to have a positive influence on the people that actually are in front of you, rather than fetishizing some relationships that you don't actually have the rather than the virtual facebook relationships yeah and i think that the other thing is that if you are able to stay very close to the men in your local community and your locale that when their sons begin that awkward stage where we i think at this point in our social evolution decide to eschew young men ugh, teenagers ugh, sweaty stinky hormonal teenagers ugh. That's the point where I think you really, as the elders of the tribe, that's actually the point where I think you have to kind of step forward into the lives of those kids more and be someone who isn't their parent. That's actually how I think how we go about improving the next generation of men. If you can recognise that there are uh, young teenagers in your life and you can fulfil the role of being that tribal elder to talk to them about how they feel in a way that isn't being their mum or dad or their parent then they will find it far easier to talk to you than they will find it to talk to somebody that they're kind of related to or likely to see every day and that kind of thing what do you wish somebody like that has said to you when you were i don't know 15 or a a pivotal moment in your becoming a man what messages would you like to have heard about masculinity which you didn't necessarily I think actually God's honest truth is there are lots of positive things about masculinity that I did hear at that age. But it was just that because I went to an all boys school, the idea of, you know, girls was just like it may as well have been the same idea as Martians. I think by the time puberty hit, all I really had in my head was like shag, 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 rather than, oh, they're people with their own feelings. Did you start doing that at 13, though, or did you hold off a bit? I mean, if somebody had been up for it, I'd have just, you know, ploughed in because it wasn't something that I 
I just didn't understand any of it. Like, you know, we live in quite a sexualized society anyway, but I think even more so in that late 80s, I think I just did have some idea that a big part of being a man was just to fuck a lot. And I think a lot of the jokes I heard on TV, a lot of the jokes my dad told, they were all really around the idea that fucking was like the thing, as opposed to, you know, emotional consideration or not being an arsehole. It's like, for example, yeah. <laughs> connecting with humans, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. You said there are elements of masculinity that you think are good. Can you tell us about them? I do think there's a certain breed of man that does make me go slightly, if not weak at the knees, but weak at the soul, where they seem genuinely physically tough and physically strong, but they're also listening to the people around them and that it is their presence and there is a sort of manliness. There's an aura of like a a Herculean ideal of a man are there any of those men that you looked up to either i suppose growing up or now like can you name any name names rufus name the names yeah who are these hercules figures um, are you looking life? at them right now i mean right. what do you think of us it's a bit awkward if he doesn't say us now yeah <laughs> um, well, um... <laughs> i don't know did surely hercules had some tasks that was just doing a really really long comedy show or knowing about poems didn't he was he a baker who do i mean i mean i i suppose on some level when I think of those men, almost all of the times I've encountered those men is when there is an actual practical task to achieve. Like, let's move a thing from over this place to over that place, <laughs> or let's put up all these tents, or, you know, let's get this fire started. And actually, maybe, having said they don't make me go weak at the knees so much as weak at the soul, maybe what I really mean is they do make me go weak at the knees. <laughs> 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 that I just fancy them, you know. it's uh... Yeah, it seems as if you relate to other men in a relatively physical way without wanting to be kind of generalising about it. Is it to do with the fact that it supplies something we feel like is missing from us? or Well, I mean, obviously we have one of the nation's favourite homosexuals sat here. So, um, oh, stop it, you flirt. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know, top 50, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it, it's a thin line. Essentially, I can imagine sexual congress with men, and I can imagine that being pleasurable. I have in my life been sexual with men, but then not found it to contain within it the thing that really connected with me in the way that sexual contact with women connects with me. So there is some nuance there. I suppose my point is that when I think of those big manly men, like traditional manly men, I I think the thing that makes me flutter, and let's use the gendered word that immediately came to mind, makes me feel almost girlish, (laughs) Mm. is the idea of being held by them and scooped up by them and made safe by them and enveloped by them more than it would be. And then they kiss me and run their fingers through my hair and then we go at it hammer and tongs. You've not got loads of hair for them to do that for a bit. Well, all right. I mean, I'm 41, Mark. You know, we He's can't got a nice beard, the... though. They can use the beard. Oh, Rufus is strokeable. Don't get me wrong. There's something to work <laughs> with there. And Rufus, this interests me. Do you think that we are... Because what you've talked about is basically feeling safe, right? And presumably that's a need that everyone, in inverse commas, male or female, has. Is it just that someone like you is more 
honest about that? Is it that traditionally, as men, we feel like we're meant to be the protector rather than the protectee? Because, you know, I don't think you'll that often hear a straight guy say what I'd most like from another man is to be... I'm not, I'm not making fun of it. I find it really interesting. Is it just... Is that something that we all... I feel like you've cut to the core of what we all sort of want, really, which is safety, security. So get ready for another 10-minute piece of me um, talking at you. <laughs> We're always ready for that, Rufus. We know you. <laughs> I, uh, I also have uh, this feeling very strongly at the moment, which is when you are a baby, you are looking out at the world without any clue of what's going on and somebody keeps you safe. Yeah. And then as you get older, you become a little more aware of the world and there are still people keeping you safe and looking out for you. And now is your bedtime and now brush your teeth and now put these clothes on. And then you get a bit older and a bit older. And then at some point you tip over, you know, let's be honest, it's around puberty into you're going to have to start to an extent fending for yourself. And there is, I think, a tragedy within the death of being a child and the death of other people looking out for you that we don't really address. There isn't something that is going to turn up and make it all better. There isn't that parent that is going to re-emerge in your life and feed you and wipe your bum and make sure you're warm and fed and dry. And so you think we, we are left with a longing for that in some way? For someone to wipe our bum. We all miss that feeling of there being something or someone that is going to make it all better. And that is the absolute nub of Trumpism, of Brexit, of that swing to the far right. Make America great again. The thing that everybody is hearkening back to is a time when you felt safe. Yes. And that psychologically exists in childhood and so fascists and people who have a vested interest in controlling how you feel and what you think about going on in the world and the thing that they tell you they're offering you is a return to your childhood which cannot be got back to the original question was why do you like being cuddled rufus but we're getting there (laughs) (laughs) well yeah we've talked about touch we've talked about greater emotional honesty what other blueprints are there do you think rufus what what would you include in a sort of roadmap of how we, as men, but just as humans, can stop feeling like this and, or at least deal better with these harmful cravings that we don't Is enjoy? it big, strong biceps to cuddle you to sleep at night? Well, I mean, it's not a bad start, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't hurt. I suppose it could hurt. <laughs> I mean, we give it a go. Um, look, you know, Malcolm X said education is the key. We live in the information age, and we all thought that what information would lead to was truth but unfortunately the information age also contains within it misinformation or disinformation and so everybody's just being led around by the fear it is fundamentally fear that allows you to be controlled and for as long as people are able to lead you around by the fear then you will be led around so i feel like it is needing somebody smarter than i am (laughs) who really who has a grip of this kind of science a lot more to explain to the world look the reason that none of us are happy is this thing this is what we have to change because once we change how we feel about one another once we change how we feel within our tribes 
then and only then will we feel able to address the real problems, which are that the planet is burning. We've only got about 16 years left before the soil starts to fail. But rising tides will bring about a global refugee crisis at a point where there is an enormous swing towards nationalistic tendencies in each nation. And once you have the combination of those two things, the only outcome of it will be war. And that will be a war fought with nuclear weapons once you actually have nation state versus nation state. And once those go off, you bring about nuclear winter, which will exacerbate the problems of environmental collapse. And thus, human life on this planet will end. And that's the last episode of the podcast. Thank you for tuning in. It's been a delight. <laughs> I'm starting to feel like I need someone to hold me, actually. <laughs> right. So you can appreciate why it's... Yes, you're right, Rufus. <laughs> I can appreciate it. And I also, I also take your point, we don't have a lot of time to sort our shit out as men because as a global community, we really do have some pretty pressing business to attend to. But if anyone can save us, presumably, it's younger people than ourselves. It's the, the next generation of minds and brains. And some of those will be classified as men. So a question we always ask at the end is, if you were to build a man, what three qualities do you think you'd instill, maybe with a particular eye to this question of how do we save ourselves? Normally we just ask it as a kind of idealistic question, but there's a bit more urgency to the question now because, as you've pointed out, without a radical upgrade in the way that humans function, we won't have a planet for very long. So what three emergency qualities would you put into, if you're charged with crafting the people, but specifically men that you know might haul us out of this crisis? Okay. As you, I'm sure, know, uh, you know, a uh, big old geek really at heart and a huge fan of sci-fi and comic books and all of that. So uh, I'm going to just go down that avenue, really, because I think I would give them the kind of impenetrability of Superman. I think they need to be bulletproof because it seems to me that the people who stand up and are prepared to be counted are largely shot down. Secondly, there's a thing with dogs where people talk about, you know, dogs only seeing black and white, but actually their sense of smell is so acute that they actually create a kind of map of the world based not just on what they see, but also what they smell and how that thing interacts. And I would like the next generation of men to do something similar but with empathy. Like a 4D set of emotions, basically. Like you could no sooner walk into a door expecting to go through to the other side in the way that this empathy would also register in terms of your map of the world. So two superpowers so far. One more? And I think maybe, like in the same way that we produce stomach acid to break down food, like a similar physical thing for forgiveness... I think that once we accept that we are imperfect and are able to forgive the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune and to break them down in the same way that our stomach acid breaks down our food, that would also, I think, be the ideal. Also, interesting, you know, I say to you, there has never been a perfect person. And when you look at religion, what do they largely sell you? That there have been. Hey, yeah. there was this perfect person and <laughs> and who is that figure then exists as the God. And what is that God going to do? That God is going to scoop you up, keep you safe and make everything OK. For all of the time that we cling to those gods, be they what they are, Alcoholics Anonymous, they tell you that you should have a God. And, and that God can be defined by you as, you know, a moment of connection between a mother and a newborn baby or a Christian God or, you know, whatever. But for as long as we have those gods, 
we are encouraged not to have to face up to the horror of what it is to be human. And it seems to me that until we really do that, until we address that, we are always going to be incapable of fixing the problems that we have in the here and now. And for as long as we are incapable of fixing the problems we have in the here and now, none of us will ever be happy because until everybody has the opportunity to be happy, none of us can be by definition. Well, um, I suppose the take home is um, different episodes have different headlines. This one is probably face up to the horror of being alive. Rufus, thank you very much. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot, Rufus. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Uh, you might have noticed that was quite an abrupt end. After nearly two hours of technical difficulties, I think we were all ready. All humans and computers in the conversation had reached their limits, basically. Yeah, he was really interesting and really articulate. He did raise massive concerns about the future of humanity, but we're not opposed to that. This is a deep dive. We'll talk about stuff. <laughs> we also share some of those grave concerns. But oh, we should yeah. probably not end on such a negative note. We have had some lovely, lovely messages coming in. Yes, let's end with praise. That's what we like to do. Someone has said, dear M and M, which is a good way around the Michael and Mark issue. A very diplomatic approach, yeah. Very on the fence. They have said that they are a cis-het woman in their late 30s. So cis means cisgendered and het means heterosexual. So she says she's probably not our target audience, but she's really enjoying our podcast. She has always found androgyny fascinating and that their first crush when they were seven or eight was a gymnast with a huge smile and they never did find out whether they were a boy or a girl. But they've been really enjoying listening to the discussion of all the different daily pressures on men and she thinks that it would be great to see society put less emphasis on gender in general, allowing everyone the greater freedom to be whoever they want and to interact in a more healthy way. I think that's a lovely thing to hear. And also, she is part of our target audience. Everyone is our target audience. Yes, well, that's exactly what I was going to say. I reckon our target audience is quite simply, well, our ambition is for every single person in humanity to download it on a weekly basis. And to rate it five stars. Uh, Janet has been in touch to say, and this follows on from uh, that remark, this show really does appeal to any gender, especially as part of the big discussion around what it all means, how people can take control of their own gender expression. Janet goes on to say, I hope you have a place where you store nice things people have said about the podcast to remind you when morale flags that you're doing great work. Well, firstly, Janet, Armoral never does flag because Michael and I are the most robust people psychologically uh, that you'll ever come across. But yes, also, we keep all of this in our inbox. Our inbox is basically a shrine to ourselves these days. We're sort of storing it in, in audio form in all these podcasts for posterity, I suppose, which is lovely. It's true. Do you feel free to write in with criticism as well, though? Not too harsh, but like constructive yeah yeah i'm gonna build on that and say don't feel free to do that (laughs) just please keep adding to the absolute palace of ego that we have constructed around our frail psyches (laughs) now next yes next week we have nathaniel curtis you moved to the bright lights of london at drama school and that was when you started to kind of grow into yourself kind of the more recognizable nathaniel that we see here with the clavicles on show which they still are which by the they way. still are glistening i would say <laughs> we're just feasting on them Nath- you're gonna Nathaniel, make go really red yeah nathaniel now is protectively covering his clavicles clutching uh, his clavicles as if on display in some sort of uh, zoom he's never objectified anyone quite as much as this in a podcast i can only apologize i would like to state for the record that nathaniel and i are friends and therefore this is not as inappropriate it's probably lucky really that we have good. that actually yeah <laughs> But we don't know each other. Me and Nathaniel don't really know each other. Which makes the flirting between Mark and Nathaniel slightly more strange. It's come as a surprise to me as well. And it might come as a surprise to our producer, who is your partner. My partner, yeah. (laughs) 
Nathaniel was a really interesting guest. You might recognise Nathaniel from recent series It's a Sin, which was on Channel 4 in the UK and I believe HBO Max in the US. Honestly, really incredible, wasn't it? Made a huge impression, I think it's fair to say, on the uh, TV watching audience. And Nathaniel chatted a bit about that, but a bit about a lot of other stuff as well. Yes, and he um, he was radiant, wasn't he, over that Zoom? He was very easy on the eye, both of us agreed, yes. Uh, very pleasant hours spent last weekend, I have to say. Maybe the Patreon will just put 20 minutes of stills of him up there. Sort of like an OnlyFans thing. <laughs> oh, you know OnlyFans. That's exciting. I, I know a lot of stuff, Michael. I'm just keeping my nose clean. Have you considered doing an OnlyFans? <laughs> no, I have not, no. <laughs> I think the uptake would be fairly minimal. Oh, don't talk yourself down, Mark. You never know. Well, we'll see. Shall we put it out there? Would anyone like Mark Watson to begin an OnlyFans? Mum, please don't Google what that is. Uh, everyone, we'll see you next week. See you for Nathaniel. <laughs> catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher.